0: Alright, good evening or morning everybody. If you turn to 2 Kings chapter 22 and 23, that's where we'll be. Second Kings 22 and 23. While you're turning there in your Bibles, a couple announcements. Um, the Stidhams had their baby. That's exciting. I don't know the stats. It's a baby. It's about this big, okay? Anyway, we've got meal sign-up sheet for them if you're interested in bringing them a meal. I think we've got a couple slots left over. Um, you can fill out that. It's uh, on the table there on your way out the door. Also on that same table is a camp desserts sign-up sheet. very integral part of the camp is to have desserts for these kids. So since that begins this Wednesday, um, if you want to bring something for us to hand out to those kids, we'd love to have some baked goods or whatever you want to bring. Just put your name down and let us know. What? Sugar-free? No, not sugar-free. <laughs> well, wait a minute. Yeah. Yeah. Sugar-free. That's it. Yeah. No, the kids will kill me if I do that. So we'll just have to deal with their hyperactivity. We'll take it. We've got Redlin. No, it's uh, (laughs) uh, it's, it's the most mellow camp you've ever seen. No, that's (laughs) terrible. Let's start this over again. Um, (laughs) Also on the table, there is a uh, sign-up sheet for the Women's Luncheon, August 29th, 1030 to 3. That's a Saturday. you know. Bring a side salad, as usual. It's kind of like what they do. So, um, And then those of you who aren't into salads, bring some steak for the people that eat. <laughs> August 9th, on campus, corporate prayer uh, citywide um, uh, at the stadium there. It's a prayer night beginning at 7 o'clock at Bearcat Stadium. Um, we have four sections of prayer we'd like to cover. And, and uh, it, it is a ecumenical thing, so there'll be different faiths there, or different denominations there. Um, coming together for prayer for our city, nation, and, and otherwise. And there's some specific things we'll be covering. So that's August 9th at 7. Welcome to join us for that. It's sp- sponsored by FCA. Fellowship for Christian Athletes is doing it. So, And we support them. Um, so I think that's it. This is a great chapter. These are great chapters. Um, really enjoy Josiah. Josiah uh, is an 8-year-old little boy whose grandpa and his dad were miserable examples of men. And uh, he steps away from that. And so, what a great start this morning! As it doesn't matter what your background is or where you came from or what your heritage is spiritually in your family, it's not even an issue. It isn't an issue. It's a personal thing between you and your Lord. And Josiah is going to show that as we see the first two kings, uh, the two kings prior to Josiah, miserable. And in the end of chapter 23, we're going to see two more kings rise up after him, miserable. He's bookended by two historically terrible leaders, but he wasn't. And that can be us. And that's our choice and our call. In verse one, Josiah was eight years old when he became king and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidiah or Jediah, um, the daughter of Adiah of Bozkath. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. And he walked in all the ways of his father, David. He did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. His entire life is summed up in that one paragraph. What a fantastic paragraph. We're going to get into the details of his kingship and his ministry and his worship of his Lord. But that's all we need right there. Walked in the ways of his father, David. Not in his father, father, or his grandfather, father, but of his spiritual father, David, although also a blood relative He followed in the ways of his father, David, in walking with God in all the ways. And he didn't turn from the right or to the left. There was no compromise in the middle of his life. He walked with him his whole life, all throughout his life. Now, this individual, this Josiah, is just a man, just a person. I mean, they know he's a little boy, but the of 18 years old, which is what our next section starts off with, he begins to get an attraction or uh, drawn to God. And he begins to look at the temple, he begins to see it. And for 10 years, from here on out, from 8 to 18, he's been looking at this temple. He's just a guy. Now, he was born into royalty. And so, therefore, using the position that God had given him through birth, he just ministers where he is. It just happens to be on a throne. But his father, who he said he followed in all of his ways, David, was just a shepherd was not born into royalty, and he just worshiped God right where he was guarding sheep. That's all he did. That's, God all, that's all God ever expects of any of us. If God wants to add responsibilities to us or give us more um, influence, fine. But if he doesn't, it makes no difference. Whether you're a shepherd boy with a sling and your little guitar out there on a rock in the middle of nowhere where no one can hear you but God, you do it as unto the Lord or whether you're Josiah, thrust upon greatness thrust upon you, and you're on the throne, I'm just going to serve the Lord. And so God in this one chapter covers everything. You got a bad heritage, so what? You got kids that aren't walking with the Lord, so what? If you're born into uh, being a shepherd, so what? If you're born on the throne, so what? All that matters is each person is responsible for their walk with the Lord. Verse 3. Now it came to pass in the 18th year of King Josiah that the king sent Shaphan, the scribe, the son of Azaliah, the son of Meshulam, to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, that he may count the money which has been brought into the house of the Lord, which the doorkeepers have gathered from the people, and let them deliver it into the hand of those doing the work who are the overseers in the house of the Lord. Let them give it to those who are in the house of the Lord doing the work to repair the damages of the house to carpenters, builders, and masons, and to buy timber and hewn stone to repair the house. However, there need be no accounting made with them of the money delivered into the hand because they deal faithfully. This is before the revival starts. This is before Josiah stands by the pillar in a few minutes and dedicates his life to the Lord. There is an attraction that Josiah for 10 years has been looking at the state of his country. I mean, at the age of eight, what do you know? Right? You're playing with Hot Wheels and you're, you know, looking at Paw Patrol. You're you're not focused on the things of a nation. You're a little kid and no one could expect that from you. But as he grows older... And grows up in that environment, which we're about to see is an ugly, ugly environment spiritually. He's going to see things he doesn't like. There's going to be something inside of him that's going to bring a conviction, a desire, a passion for the Lord. And he's looking at the temple saying, why is it in disrepair? First thing out of the box. I don't know that he knows why he needs to do this, but he needs to do this. How much money they've got? This is an 18-year-old kid. How much money is in the house of the Lord? Find out and make sure it's getting into the hands of the workmen who are responsible for keeping it in good repair because it's not. Now here's the thing. They are building in this temple. They are busy with construction but they're not maintaining the house of the Lord. And you'll see that in a minute. When we get into chapter 23, we're going to begin to see what Josiah takes out of the temple, the things that are being added onto it, the booths that are built, the tapestries that are being made, the idols that are being, the money's being spent, but not on God. It's being spent on these other things. For 57 years, there's been a willful neglect of the house of God until Josiah shows up and says, I want to change that. This is a lot like 2 Kings chapter 12, verse 11. A similar situation, not important, but I'll read it anyway. Then they gave money, which had been apportioned into the hands of those who did the work, who had the oversight of the house of the Lord, and they paid it out to the carpenters, the builders who worked on the house of the Lord. So it's a common thing to use that money. That's what it was for. It's for the building of the house. It's not meant for idols or anything else. And so Josiah says, let's find out what's going on over there. So that's his step in the right direction. I don't even know that he knows he's taken a step in the right direction, but he has. Verse 8, then Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan and he read it. So Shaphan the scribe went to the king, bringing the king word, saying, Your servants have gathered the money they found in the house and have delivered into the hand of those who do the work, who oversee the house of the Lord. Then Shaphan, the scribe, showed the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. Shaphan read it before the Lord. What do you mean you found the book of the Lord? That's your only job as a priest, is to make sure that the nation is doing the will of the Lord. What do you mean you found it? That's how far gone they are from the word of God. They are still worshiping, but it's kind of this, and it's kind of that. And we've added this, and we brought in this. And all of a sudden, this doesn't look like the temple of the Lord anymore at all. And the Word of God has got dust collected on it, so much so that they've forgotten about it completely. No one's touched it. And they said, you know, when we were doing our remodel, we found this scroll. What do you mean you found the Word of the Lord? And look how he treats it. Hey, yeah, we did what you said, and then found this. Wow. And of course, the scribe doing his job, he says, what, what is it? Okay, it yeah, looks like a good book. He doesn't know. So he comes up to the king and he says, uh, he gave me a book. As far as the scribe's concerned, the nation of Israel, they are so far away from worshiping the true and living God that they see this book, they say, hey, there's a book. It's a book like any other book equal in value to any other historical document. You may be critical of it, just like you're critical of anything else. And they treat it like it's just another man-written thing. But he read it before the king. Now it happened. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, that he tore his clothes. Then the king commanded Hilkiah, the priest, Ahiakim, the son of Shaphan, Akbor the son of Micaiah, Shaphan the scribe, and Asaiah, a servant of the king, saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me, for the people, and for all Judah, concerning the words of this book that was, has been found. This kid's never heard it. For great is the wrath of the Lord that has aroused against us, because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. What spoke to Josiah out of the reading of the book? Judgment. Judgment is what's moving this kid to rip his clothes. Judgment's what's moving him to saying, uh, we're in trouble. We need to find out what this means. How do we get back? I need to know from God himself. I didn't even know we could talk to him. They are so far from it that this is foreign to everybody in the room. Probably not foreign, but it's at least concealed by everyone in the room. But this little kid, he's 18 now, I know, but he tears his clothes just at the hearing of the word. This happened, or will happen again, after this captivity. Judah will lose and be taken into captivity, just like Israel did, and they're going to be gone. And it's called a Babylonian captivity. There's going to be three waves of people at the end of this time that are brought back into the nation. We've got Zerubbabel, you've got Ezra, and then you've got this guy, Nehemiah. And each phase, there was a little more done in the recreating and the reestablishment of the nation of Israel in their land. But it's Nehemiah that we want to focus on. Because they built their places, they, they, they finally built the temple, and then finally they get to the word of God in Nehemiah's phase of this reconstruction. It begins in chapter 8, verse 1. And I'm going to skip the names just because it's a long read. Now all the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women and all who could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. Then he read from it in the open square that was in front of the water gate from morning until midday before the men and women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. So Ezra, the scribe, stood on a platform of wood, which they had made for the purpose. And beside him, at his right hand, stood these guys. Verse 5. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up, and Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. Then all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And then these guys, and after the Levites, helped the people to understand the law. And the people stood in their place, So they read distinctly from the book in the law of God, and they gave a sense and helped them to understand the reading. And a revival breaks out. Every single revival begins with the discovery of God's word. You cannot have a true revival without the revival of God's word. God's word is the way faith comes to people. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. There is no other way to produce that. You can have your circus tent. You can have special music. You can bring in special evangelists. But if the word of God is not spoken, you're going to need that next year and next year and next year to keep the pump and the hype. The word of God is what changes people. It is the sword of the Spirit. There is no other. It's what God uses to bring us out of where we are in our complacency and our compromise into a place of obedience to God. I didn't know that was wrong. I've never heard that when I was growing up. That's in the book. We cannot be biblically illiterate. And they were. But it's going to stop. It begins with repentance. The word of the God or the word of God spoke so powerfully to him of this impending doom that he tore his clothes and says, I don't want that for me or my nation. And that's the beginning. We, we, we love Jesus. We love talking about Jesus, but Jesus is just news if we don't have judgment. Judgment's what makes Jesus good news, you see? You've got to know what you've done wrong in order to know that you need a savior. If you don't know you're drowning, how do you know to get into the basket and get taken up into the helicopter? I'm okay. (laughs) You're not. No, the shore's right over there. You're in the middle of the Atlantic. I'm glad I know that now. I'll get in the basket. You know? That's all it is. I think I'm close to God. You're nowhere near close to God. No, I'm pretty holy. I'm better than Hitler. Pretty sure. Hitler's not the standard. Jesus is. Holiness, perfection. Oh, then I'm in trouble. Exactly. What do I do about this then? There's a way. It has to go that way. We need that. Josiah is going through that. There's something about that place. Were, were any of you in that place when you were a little kid? Maybe you weren't churched, maybe whatever. I don't know where you all started. Maybe you were churched. Maybe your family didn't walk with God. Maybe they did. It doesn't make any difference. Was there ever that draw or their attraction to church or the attraction to God or attraction to his word or Christianity or just Jesus? There's just this draw. I don't know what it is, but I know that's where I want to be. Something about that's intriguing to me. Something about that is interesting. That's where Josiah was. What's with that building over there? Oh, that's the temple of the of a, a true and living God over there, not the other that's not Diana, I don't know, naming up. It's not, it's not Baal, it's not Asherah, It's. it's uh, that's that true and living God temple. We haven't been there for years. Why is it so ugly? You know? Why are you focused on it? Let's get these other places. We got other problems. We got streets we need to repair. We got other things we gotta do here. Come on, king. I don't know. There's something about that place. Let's get it fixed up. Let's get it fixed up. And we found a book. In the process of of focusing and responding to that gentle nudge, that gentle tug upon his heart, God reveals himself to him. I'm glad. You draw near to me, little boy, I'll draw near to you. That's a promise for every single man, woman, and child on the face of the earth. If you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. And there it is. That's his first step. Interesting, isn't it? He walks steps towards the temple. What's about that temple? And God says, you're in trouble. That's his first contact. I'm glad you're focused on me, but you're in trouble. He's got to respond. What do I do with that? Will you tear your clothes? That's the first thing. I recognize that I'm at fault, that I've got a problem, that I need to find out from the Lord what I need to do. Verse 14. So Hilkiah, the priest, Ahiakim, um, Akbar, Shaphan, and Isaiah went to Huldah, the prophetess the wife of Sholom, the son of Tikvah, the son of Haras, keeper of the wardrobe. She dwelt in Jerusalem in the second quarter. It was this prophetess lady, you know? And they spoke with her and she said to them, thus says the Lord God of Israel, tell the man who sent you to me, thus says the Lord. Behold, I will bring calamity on this place and on the inhabitants, all the words of the book, which the king of Judah has read, because they have forsaken me. And burn incense to other gods, and they might that, that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore, my wrath shall be aroused against this place, and shall not be quenched. There is no way out of this. But as for the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord in this manner, you shall speak to him, Josiah. Just you. Thus says the Lord God of Israel concerning the words which you have heard. Because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they would become a desolation and a curse, and you tore your clothes and wept before me, I also have heard you, says the Lord. Surely, therefore, I will gather you to your fathers and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace, and your eyes shall not see all the calamity which I will bring on this place. So they brought back word to the king. No, there's nothing we can do about this. This train's left the station. They're in trouble. But Josiah, you've repented. And therefore, I'm going to bring you to your fathers in peace. I want you to see how God defines peace. Because we define peace way different. Josiah dies in war. He gets killed by an Egyptian pharaoh. And that's how God defines his peaceful death being taken to his fathers. We think, well, oh, good, peace. We think like that one guy who just got sick and just kind of fell asleep in his bed or whatever. That's what we think of a peaceful death. No, God says, I'm not concerned about your peace between each other. He never has been, nor is he in the New Testament, by the way, concerned about peace between men. He's concerned about peace between God and man. It's a vertical relationship. Of course, we want to live peaceably with all men as much as we can. But Jesus says, I've come to bring a sword. I'm here to divide. You're either for me or you're against me. It's not a group of compromises so that we can all just get along and have peace and harmony and kumbaya. I've got a a brother in the Lord who just doesn't understand all the, the fuss. I don't understand all the... The division. I don't understand all the... What Bible are you reading? We've always been at war. Maybe you didn't know that this morning. You're at war. I don't know what to do with all of this. I don't know what to do with You've been training for this. We've been doing Bible studies here for 20 years now. Well, yeah, I thought that was for Africa. <laughs> I thought that was for all the beheadings over there. No studying for this. Preparing right now to not have any fear. Preparing right of this whole time so that we stand up in the face of adversity. We've been preparing for this our whole lives as Christians from the time you were born again. Why isn't there more peace? At what cost? God doesn't want us to compromise at all. You're going to see how much Josiah doesn't compromise. He is one little kid, an 18-year-old kid, thrust into the position of being a ruler, and he is going to radically change this country as long as he's alive. He's a disruptor. This isn't the plan. We've been going, Satan's been just happy with each one of these kings doing more evil than the side of the other, and then this little turkey comes on board, and he ruins everything. As soon as he's dead, we're right back on track again for destruction. Guys, I want peace too. But the Bible doesn't teach that until Jesus comes again. It starts in the garden with war. It ends in Revelation with war. If they hated you, Jesus says, they're going to hate me. Jesus was at war when he was here. It's spiritual warfare. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying now let's all start gathering. But we need to toughen up a little bit. Start standing up. Not that you're not. You're like, hey, easy. Easy. I am. Okay, great. But if you're not and you don't understand what's going on right now, you need to. We're at war. I will worship my God. I will worship Him. And I'll go to prison worshiping Him. And I will do everything within my legal power to make sure that we can all worship Him. I don't mean to put too fine a point on it, but I've drawn the line. As far as I'm concerned, we're going to worship. It's about time we had some persecution, right? We've had it pretty easy around here. Bring it, you know. <laughs> I've been waiting. And some of you are like, hey, they're about to find a new church. I understand. There's plenty of them to choose from. Because your heart was tender, because you humbled yourself before the Lord, not before men, before the Lord, when I heard, I'm going to take care of you. So they brought back word to the king. Romans ten seventeen tells us, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. There is no other way to get faith other than by the word of God. And that's what's happened here. Something about that place draws near to God. God draws near to him, gives him his word. And hearing the word of God produces faith in Josiah. So much so that that's all he's heard. There is no judgment. There is nothing bad happening in the nation. But because he read God's word and it says something bad's coming, he believes it by faith and is going to move him to action. That is faith in a nutshell. That's all it is. I don't know how I can have faith. It's very simple. God says something, you believe it, and then it moves you to action. That's all faith is. You you do it without seeing any kind of pressure or any kind of uh, something coming upon you externally. You, you've read it, you believe God and you do it. That's, that's faith. Simple. Josiah is moved by the word of God into faith. Verse 1. Now, the king sent to Uh, sent them to gather all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem to him. The king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah and with him, all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets and all the people, both small and great. And he read in the hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which uh, had been found in the house of the Lord. So I want you to know where I'm coming from. He says, gather everybody around as a leader. I'm going to read to you what I just read. Here it is. Now, here's a danger. Here's a danger. Watch this. Then the king stood by a pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book. And all the people took a stand for the covenant. A revival is each person. When a revival starts with Josiah and goes horizontal from Josiah, then when Josiah dies, the revival dies. Always will. Josiah has had a revelation from God. He's had a personal relationship started with the God. Now, everybody else needs to see that, but they all need to have their own vertical relationship with God or it dies. I had that moment with my God 31 years ago in July. I had that moment where my personal relationship was no longer off of my friend who's trying to lead me to the Lord or the church that I attend or whatever other spiritual influence that was drawing me to God. I had my moment and I've never looked back. I've never looked back. I pause because I don't. I don't want to offend. There, there's nothing wrong with. Um, there's nothing wrong with having groups, um, support systems, things like that. But we have to be very careful as Christians. We understand the Bible teaches a conservative message. It does not teach a liberal message. And what I mean by that is a conservative message is you are responsible for you. You are responsible for all your sins. You are responsible for your relationship with God. You are responsible to read the Word. You are responsible to teach your children. You have a lot of responsibility that God has put upon you. We can fall into the trap, have a liberal mindset, and think, well, if we had some kind of social construct here, we could keep people around longer. No. If I need to take somebody by the hand and say, now you need to read 31 chapters and then you need to do this. That's fine at first, but eventually they've got to walk. The disciples led people to Jesus and made them followers of Jesus, not followers of themselves. You follow Jesus. If your relationship with God falls apart because your social construct has failed you, then you didn't have a relationship with God. It wasn't real anyway. It was electric in the room. Everybody was there worshiping. I really felt something. I stood up. I went forward. But as soon as I left that environment, it died? That's not a relationship with God. That's fake. That was emotionalism. That was your soulish worship. It wasn't spiritual. You weren't born again. You have to be born again. And when you're born again of the Spirit... The Holy Spirit comes inside of you, comes alongside of you, teaches you in all the things you need to go. You are now a disciple of Jesus Christ. You're a follower of his, and nothing can keep you from him. Nothing's going to stop me from reading my Bible. None of this stuff's going to keep me from following the Lord. I have a lovely family. I'm very proud of them. I love everything about them. But each one of my kids regardless, if they were going off of Jenny and I's faith, when we died, they're dead spiritually. They each had to make their own personal decision to follow Jesus. Now, we give them an environment where they can know all the truth. We lay it all out before them, but they've each got to choose. They have to. And that's what makes a family strong is when everybody in the family chooses to follow Jesus, regardless of anybody following Jesus. I'm going to. That's the same with the church. Church will be as great as as many people follow Jesus. There's no social construct of the church. There's no secret group that meets. The church meets over here, and the church does this, and the church does that. No, it's you. It's me. It's us. And if you're not obedient to God, then the, that part of the church isn't obedient to God, and so on. We're the sum of our parts. Josiah is going to stand behind beside the pillar and make a covenant for the Lord and everybody else said yeah yeah we we will too as soon as he dies it's all gone and the king commanded Hilkiah the high priest the priest of the second the priests of the second order excuse me and the doorkeepers to bring out of the temple of the Lord all the articles that were made for Baal for Ashram, for all the hosts of heaven and he burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of Kidron and carried their ashes to Bethel then i want to pause there for a minute he is now moved from his personal relationship to beginning to do stuff about it and he begins in the house of the lord just like jesus said he says in first peter chapter 4 verse 17 for the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of god and if it begins with us first That what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? It starts right here. And I want you to circle, or you can, then, 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 Josiah. Okay? It's one thing, and then it's another thing. And then that leads to another thing. And it's just a system just walking your way through all these things until finally the house is pretty clean. We've got it in order. We got rid of all the idols. Now we're gonna work out here. I was given. Seven sheep to take care of. God saw fit to give me a wife and six children. And he watched me to see how I would take care of those sheep. And we said we were going to follow the Lord. And then he gave me more sheep. It all starts with you. It all starts with me. What will we do with our walk with Jesus? And can we be entrusted with more sheep than the sheep he's already given us? And so on. And our ministry expands that way. Josiah's beginning with the house of the Lord. I don't know about the rest of you. Y'all said you were following God. Well, good, because here it comes. I'm going to start taking out all the bales, all the Asherahs, all the hosts of heaven. I'm going to burn them. I'm not going to sell them online. I'm crushing them. And I'm going to take them to the fields of Kidron and bury their ashes out there. Then he removed all the idolatrous priests, people whom the kings of Judah had ordained to burn incense on the high places in the cities of Judah and in the places all around Jerusalem and those who burn incense to Baal, to the sun, to the moon, to the constellations, and to all the hosts of heaven. And he brought out the wooden images from the house of the Lord to the brook Kidron outside Jerusalem, burned it in the brook, at the brook Kidron and ground it to ashes and threw its ashes on the graves of the common people. I mean, there's levels of destruction here. Burn it. Mm, crush it. Mm, throw it in the river. I mean, he's not done. He's Make no mistake about it. He's making no alliances with this garbage. It's all gone. Get rid of this. I don't want any residue left. Grind it, grind it, grind it. Okay. It's dust. Now what? Throw it in the, throw it there. Throw it on the ashes. Throw it in the graves. Throw it in the river. I don't care. Get rid of that thing. He gets rid of the things that are worshiping constellations. This was just part of normal worship. You go to the house of the Lord and there's the worship of the constellations. the zodiac signs. Guys, you're not a Libra. You're not a Scorpio. You're not a Leo. You're not a Pisces. You're not a Gemini. And I'm embarrassed to say I know half of those things. You're none of that. Where should you be? Burn it. I just like to read my horoscope. I read the horoscope. Looks like I'm going to have a great day. Praise the Lord. Those things don't go together. They don't go together. So take your newspaper, cut it out. Do you guys still get papers? Anybody still get a newspaper? I don't even know. if they make them? Still? Whatever. Cut it out. Burn it with fire. Have a little ceremony. Now, it's up to you if you do this or not. It'd be kind of fun. Then grind it to powder, and then sprinkle the ashes on, like, one of your pet graves out back or something like that. Just make a statement for yourself. No more Zodiac worship. You cannot mix worship of the true and living God with the worship of the constellations. You are not defined by some planet alignment. What a ridiculous thought. You're created by a creator, a loving God who knit you together in your mother's womb with a purpose and a plan for you. And you worship him, not the creation that was for you. The stars, the pretty stars that we love, when you go out, in the, if you can find dark anymore, and you go out there and you look up at the stars, that's for us to go. That's why he made those things. Watch their faces. Yeah, there it is. As we drop our jaws at the, the clouds of stars above us, you know, the full moon. I'm so tired. Look, it's an orange moon. I know. It's amazing, isn't it? And God keeps doing that. It's a blood moon. Uh, it's just a nice moon. You know. It's the 12th blood moon of the year. Okay, I don't know where you're getting all this stuff, but it's a really cool moon. It reminds me of my creator. I love him. Isn't he great? You know, look at that sunset. Just the other day, my goodness. That's what they're for, not to worship, just to admire. He says, get rid of that garbage. Grind it to powder. Then... He tore down the ritual booths of the perverted persons that were in the house of the Lord. In the house of the Lord, they had built booths where they could sodomize one another in the act of worshiping these other gods. No. He destroyed that from the perverted person, took those things out. We're not doing that here. And then he goes on to describe, which apparently is just as bad as the booths, where the women wove hangings. Or the wooden image. I mean, I don't know how bad a rug or a blanket can get, but apparently so bad he compared it to the booths. Weird. But he saw it, he identified it. Well, they're just making garments and burn it. I feel like you're attacking me. You should. He is attacking. This isn't a safe space for what you want to do. This isn't okay. We went to the rodeo last night over in, uh, um, where is it? Said, yeah, there you go. Yeah, all right. The last bastions of hope for our country right there in Sydney. You know, normally we been, we went like 12 years ago or something or 10 years. ago. I don't know how long it's been since we've been over there. It's been a while. Um and pretty patriotic, obviously, and some sometimes a little dramatic for me. So I was like, you know, and the men of the service, and the law enforcement, and the... Yeah, we get it, you know. We love it all, and I'm, I'm excited. I'm a patriotic guy, you know. But there was something about this. It was a good shot in the arm for me. You know, the 7,000 people that were just enjoying their freedom, you know. And uh, when he prayed... The announcer prayed with that great Texas or Oklahoma accent. I don't know what it is. I love that. You know, you got to have the accent if you're going to do it. Can't, can't do it without the accent. And he prayed and he says, in Jesus' name. You know, he did that Jesus name. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> you know, buying a four-door Dodge truck after this show right here, you know. This is what Bo said. He goes, Dad, we need a truck like that. The two wheels in the back, it just makes it stronger. Rising it makes it stronger. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Oh, man. Chest on my hair chest just grew out like that. It was, a, it was amazing. Needed that. Nobody was worried about who felt bad about using Jesus' name. Don't it, don't come. I like that. I feel like this isn't a safe space. It's not. You're exactly right. This is not a safe space if you want to worship that, this, or the other thing. But if you want to worship the true and living God, you bet. Absolutely. But no zodiac, no perverted persons, no ritual booths, none of that stuff. Get rid of it. And he brought all the uh, priests from the cities of Judah and defiled the high places where the priests had burned incense from Geba to Beersheba. Also, he broke down the high places at the gate, which were at the entrance of the gate of Joshua, the governor of the city, which were to the left of the city gate. Nevertheless, the priests of the high places did not come up to the altar of the Lord in Jerusalem, but they ate unleavened bread among their brethren. Still not on board with this reformation thing, basically. Um And he defiled Topheth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, that no man might make his son or his daughter pass through the fire to Moloch. I I circle that word defiled. He didn't have a problem with defiling that. Which goes along with the safe spaces. It goes along with, I hope I didn't offend, or I'm not sure I'm comfortable with this. I feel like I'm attacked. I'm going to defile those things. I, I... I like that. I do that. I'm going to defile it. It's not of God. I don't have a problem with that. God doesn't have a problem with that. We're so afraid of offending people because we don't think they're going to come to the Lord. Jesus Christ is a strong cup of coffee. He just is. And he's very powerful. And we don't want to ease our way into Christianity. It is kind of a eye-opening experience when you realize you're a worthless sinner destined for hell, for eternal judgment. And you realize my sins have separated me from the living God. I had no idea. Now I know. I'm in trouble. That impending doom should be, we should be ripping our clothes. And then having him come in and say yes, but Jesus, but Jesus, there's an answer. Oh, that's good news. I mean, it should be that good of news for us to hear about Jesus Christ dying on the cross for our sins. Life-changing, life-altering, so much so that I believe that I need to change my life, rip my clothes, go the other direction, repent of my sins, and follow the Lord no matter what. Josiah is not doing this based off of the opinions of the people around him. He's doing this based on his God's opinion of him. That's all he cares about. Is God pleased with me? Then he removed the horses that the kings of Judah had dedicated to the sun at the entrance of the house of the Lord. They're still working on the house of the Lord. By the chamber of Nathan, Melek, the officer who was in the court. And he burned the chariots of the sun with fire. The altars that were on the roof, the upper chamber of Ahaz which the kings of Judah had made and the altars which Manasseh had made in the two courts of the house of the Lord, the king broke down and pulverized there and threw their dust into the brook Kidron. Again, not just happy to burn them, but I'm going to pulverize them and then I'm going to throw them in the river. Mm. First Peter chapter 4, verse 17 says, For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. If it begins with us first, What will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? That's where that cross-reference works. Because he moves now from this point on from the house of the Lord. Once that's straightened out, cleaned out, repaired, everything's in order. Now I can go outside. Has to be done inside first. Then we can work our way outside. Then the king defiled the high places that were east of Jerusalem, which were on the south of the Mount of Corruption, that's a horrible name, because this mount is supposed to be called the Mount of Olives, not the Mount of Corruption. But that's what it's become, which Solomon, King of Israel, had built for Ashereth, and the abomination of the Sidonians, for Shemash, the abomination of the Moabites, and for Milcom, the abomination of the people of Ammon. So this is a, basically a, a, a mall for worshiping. You know, you can worship this, that, or the other thing on this hill of corruption. And he broke in pieces the sacred pillars and cut down the wooden images and filled their places with the bones of men. I mean, this guy is radical. Moreover, the altar that was at Bethel and the high place, which uh, Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, who made Israel sin, had made both that altar and the high place, he broke down. And he burned the high place and crushed it to powder and burned the wooden image. As Josiah turned... So he's looking around, what else can I burn or cut down? He saw the tombs that were there on the mountains and he sent and took the bones out of the tombs and burned them on the altar and defiled it according to the word of the Lord, which the man of God proclaimed, who proclaimed these words. Then he said, what gravestone is this that I see? Okay. Okay. So some background on this. So he's looking around, he sees these graves, grabs their bones, sees this other grave, he says, who's buried there? Glad you asked. It's the man who said you were going to do all this stuff. So the men of the city told him, it is the tomb of the man of God who came from Judah and proclaimed these things which you have done against the altar of Bethel. This was prophesied about, Josiah. Can I read that prophecy to you? It's from 1 Kings chapter 13, verse 2, 300 years prior to Josiah being born. Ready? Then he cried out against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord, behold, a child, Josiah by name, shall be born to the house of David, and on you he shall sacrifice the priests of the high places who burn incense on you, and men's bones shall be burned on you. That's pretty amazing buried over here. He's the guy that said you're going to do all this uh, stuff, Josiah. He goes, oh, all right, well, leave him alone, he says. Literally. Let him alone. Let no one move his bones. So let his bones alone in the bones of the prophet who came from Samaria. Honor may come 300 years later. Don't expect it now. You following the Lord, you doing what's right in the eyes of the Lord, you standing up for what you believe and for what God teaches, which is all Josiah is doing, which is all that prophet did? You think he was cheered? There's gonna come a prophet from now named Josiah, a little boy, and he's gonna burn all the bones and he's gonna wipe all this stuff down. You think they oh, that's great, thank you. No. He was treated like a well, like a rebel, like a like someone who's trying to raise insurrection against the government for Whatever. There was no honor for him. It only comes 300 years later when it came to pass. See, that prophet didn't care. I don't care about the honor of men. I care about the honor coming from my God. I'm here to speak what he says, regardless of whether it offends you or not. Here's what's going to happen. And 300 years later, he gets his honor as all the other bones are removed and burned his stay. Not that he would care, obviously. He wouldn't even know, but that's what happens. Now, Josiah also took away all the shrines of the high places that were in the cities of Samaria, which the king of Israel had made to provoke the Lord to anger. And he did to them according to all the deeds he had done in Bethel. He executed all the priests of the high places who were there on the altars and burned men's bones on them, and he returned to Jerusalem. Then the king commanded all the people, saying, Keep the Passover to the Lord your God, as it is written in the book of the covenant. Such a Passover surely had never been held since the days of the judges who judged Israel, nor in all the days of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah. But in the 18th year of King Josiah, this Passover was held before the Lord in Jerusalem. Isn't that amazing that just last Wednesday we discussed this very Passover, the first one, and how God saw fit in the timing of God's word, and there's no way you can time this stuff out, by his Holy Spirit that this morning we would be teaching about it again. God is good. Moreover, Josiah put away those who consulted mediums and spiritists and household gods and idols. Now he's moving into people's personal lives. Get rid of all that garbage. All the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem, that he might perform the word of the law, which uh, was written in the book that Hilkiah the priest found in the house of the Lord. Now, before him, Josiah, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his might, according to all the law of Moses, nor after him did any arise like him. That's a great testimony. Never seen such radical devotion and love for God, over compromise, over keeping people happy. No, I'm just serving the Lord. Nevertheless, the Lord did not turn from the fiercest of his great wrath with which his anger was aroused against Judah because of all the provocation with which Manasseh had provoked him. And the Lord said, I will also remove Judah from my sight as I have removed Israel and will cast off this city, Jerusalem, which I have chosen, and the house of which I said, my name shall be there. Now, the rest of the acts of Josiah and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? In his days, Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, went to the aid of the king of Assyria to the river Euphrates and King Josiah went against him. Then Pharaoh Necho killed him at Megiddo when he confronted him. Then his servants moved his body in a chariot from Megiddo, brought him to Jerusalem and buried him in his own tomb. And the people of the land took Jehoahaz, the son of Josiah anointed him and made him king in his father's place. He defended his nation. He returned them to the Lord And Egypt wasn't happy with it and killed him. And God let that happen. God let that happen. Now Jehoahaz was 23 years old when he became king. And he reigned three months in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hamutal, the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that his fathers had done. Now Pharaoh Necho put him in prison at Riblah in the land of Hamath, that he might not reign in Jerusalem. And he imposed on the land a tribute of 100 talents of silver and a talent of gold. Again, money that was supposed to be spent on the house of the Lord and of worship. And now that they've compromised, now that they've made friends with other gods and other nations, now they're they're being stolen, being taken from them now. They're right, right back where they were. Then Pharaoh Necho made Eliakim, the son of Josiah, king in place of his father Josiah and changed his name to Jehoiakim. And Pharaoh took Jehoahaz and went to Egypt and he died there. A lot of turmoil. So Jehoiakim gave the silver and the gold to Pharaoh, but he taxed the land to give money according to the command of Pharaoh. He exacted the silver and gold from the people of the land and from everyone according to his assessment to give it to Pharaoh Necho. Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zebedah, the daughter of Padiah of Rumah. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father had done. <sighs> that was a lot of reading. And you did it. Josiah starts off with, this is what we shouldn't do. We need to stop doing this. We need to stop doing that. We need to stop doing that. But then when he comes to the Passover, he says, we need to start doing this. And that's the other half of that walk with Jesus. Yes, he wants to take away your sin. Yes, he wants to encourage you in walking with him. But there's not only things you shouldn't do, but now there are things that we should do. In James chapter 4, verse 17, Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. And God will show you what that is. What are the things you should be doing that you're not doing? Those are things you need to be doing. Our whole campus revolves around that. Be doers of the word, not hearers only. We don't want to collect Bible studies, which we have been for 20 years. We want to collect Bible studies and bring them to action by faith. And so we won't be dismayed. He commands us not to be dismayed. He commands us to be courageous. He commands us to worship him. He commands us these things. It's not wrong to do those things. I encourage you in that. Be encouraged. In a time where nobody knows what to do, of all people on this earth, we should know what to do by now. We should know. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for showing us that it's you and you alone that we worship. It's you and you alone that we are here to please. It's your honor that we desire. It's your uh, name that we want to lift up. And that we will do, Lord. We stand this morning and worship you in spirit and truth. We've come together to open your word and to receive it with gladness. Not to judge it like every any other book in the Bible or any other book in the world. We know it's your word. It's the sword of the spirit. And like Josiah, we want to take it to heart. We want to have it move us to action. So regardless of what everybody else is doing around us, we know you've convicted us of certain things in our lives that need to be torn down, that need to be burned, that need to be crushed to powder. Help us to do that. Whether anybody else joins us or not makes no difference. It's between well, you and me. So, God, we, we recognize that, we see that, and we love you for that. We pray that you continue to guide us by your Spirit through these times. In Jesus' name, amen.